when you think of Pakistan, do you think of a place that's open to the gospel? Brother Charles teaches at a university in Pakistan, and here's what he's found when he shares the good news about Jesus. People are willing to listen. It's not that a lot of people have heard the gospel clearly and rejected it. I think the average person I encounter has not heard the gospel. They've never had someone simply and succinctly explain to them the heart of the message, or what what I like to call the core of the gospel. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We're at the VOM headquarters in Oklahoma, and uh, we're going to be talking today with a university professor in Pakistan. Now, you will notice from his accent that he's not Pakistani. In fact, he's American, but he's teaching at a university in Pakistan. And so we're going to talk about his work. We're going to talk about the country of Pakistan, some of the challenges that Christians there face, but also some of the openness, some of the opportunities that are there for the gospel. We welcome to our studio, Brother Charles. Thank you for being on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Todd. Good to be with you. Talk to me a little bit about how an American ends up teaching at a university in Pakistan. How does that happen? Well, I tell my students a lot, I didn't get sentenced to that. Nobody <laughs> assigned me or forced me. Um, so it's an American program. It's a, it's a four-year degree, comparable in a lot of ways to, to what you could get here. And I'm thinking of some of our listeners who are thinking, wait a minute, Pakistan is the country where Osama bin Laden lived. Why would an American want to live there? Are you safe? Is your family safe? What are some of the things that went into your thought process in those regards? Well, those are real questions, and, and unfortunately, they're ones that we, we had to take very seriously. I take comfort in that it's not something that I alone have to face or that our family alone has to face, but all of my Pakistani colleagues are in uh, every bit as much danger as we are, if not more. The numbers on, on terrorist attacks have not, if you look statistically, been against Christians and have not been uh, even against foreigners. It's sometimes the wrong place at the wrong time, and sometimes it's targeted against the military or certain political assets. And so um, is there a risk? Yes, definitely. But it was something that uh, when we when we looked seriously at our calling, what we understand God has, has made us to be, and, and the passions that, uh, that he's not only given myself, but also my family, it was something that, that we, we felt was worth the risk. How long did it take, or or how do you explain, because I know in a lot of Muslim countries, simply by having an American passport, you are perceived as a Christian. How did you differentiate? I'm not a Christian because I'm from America. I'm a Christian because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to walk with him. And how did they receive that? How, how did they hopefully come to understand, no, not all Americans are Christians. You know, what you see on the movie screen, actually, no, those guys aren't Christians. A Christian is someone who's trying to be like Christ. How do you kind of dive into that and even live that out in that culture? One thing that we've uh, observed about Pakistan in particular, but I would say a a lot of Asia is this way, and, and, and some of the Middle East as well, 
people are very open and direct about what they believe. And it's questions of faith and of religion are, are not considered private matters. Often early on in a conversation, it's clear uh, who you are and what you believe and what's important to you. Uh, that's not considered threatening to express who it is and, and what you think or to ask questions or even to disagree with something that they've said or you've said for them to say, no, we, we don't believe that or no, I don't agree with that. doesn't mean that we're not going to be in a relationship. doesn't mean we can't work together. doesn't mean we, can, we can't just go have a cup of tea after our disagreement. You can, but there, there is a high degree of respect in going ahead and stating that. It means you do have a, a view. You do make a stand. So I, I try to, uh, from the beginning of conversations, just make clear who I am. I'm not a secular American. I am, I am a Christian American. I'm motivated by my faith. Why are you here? In my introduction to the classics, I feel like students have the right to know who their teacher is. I'm not with the government. I'm here because of my faith. I felt the Lord had given me a very clear direction to be in this country to be a minister of reconciliation, to be a, an opportunity for them to meet a real live American, a Christian American, to hear my thoughts, to express their thoughts, even to vent, even to vent their frustrations uh, to me. And I understand that as, as part of my, my calling and part of my, my great privilege to uh, somehow represent Christ in that way, in the most humble of ways, to, to try to be there. So from the beginning in the class, I tell my calling. It, it always begins with a very simple testimony of, you know, I was not a religious man. Uh, I was not a good man. Uh, I'm not, I was not the kind of guy who was going to move to Pakistan and teach. I was going to go after the big bucks, and it was all going to be about me, had it not been for an encounter with Jesus Christ and him becoming uh, my Lord. There's, there's no way on earth that I'd be doing what I'm doing. And I love the point of starting with the testimony, because that's one of the things we've heard again and again as we ask people here on VOM Radio, how, you know, how can we interact with Muslims? How can we lead them toward the gospel? They can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your story. They can't argue with your testimony of, well, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. We don't have to talk about, you know, was the Bible changed, not changed, you know, son of God, not son of God. Let's talk about my story and what God's done in my life. So I love it that you say, hey, that's where I start. Here's why I'm here in Pakistan, because God has impacted my life. I've come to think of um, my invitation to them as, as an act of hospitality. Lord Jesus was extremely hospitable, and he, he kind of caused others in, in the same way to be open. I think of Zacchaeus. You know, uh, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house. To my house? We're going to eat together. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so to me, opening up and sharing your heart, sharing what really is important to you, what makes you tick, that is an act of hospitality. It's an act of love. And, and that's, that's respectable. Uh, I feel like people respect me more because I've opened up my heart to them and said, this is, this is what's important to me. And you know what? I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. I'm not here just to get rich off of you or do that. I really believe that, that there is a God, and one day I'm going to stand before him, and I'm accountable for how I live this life. That commands respect. That, that's a conversation starter. And my goal is, is uh, in that hospitality not to end the conversation, not to, to drop some kind of a, something that can't be answered. No, I, I want to generate a relationship. I want to have a conversation that's going to go the semester long, or actually much longer than that, for years to come. So I want to initiate conversations 
through my testimony. I want to invite hospitality from them. I've told you what makes me tick. Now you tell me what, what makes you tick. In your years in Pakistan, I know there have been kind of some tense times. I, I think about, we mentioned Osama bin Laden. Uh, I know Pakistan was quite upset with America right after that. There's been some other times where relationships have gone up and down. Has there been some time where you thought, I wonder if we should leave for a little while? Or do you feel like where you're at and, and with the relationships that you have, you're somewhat immune to the sort of political winds between our two nations? I would say I would say we are. We're in for the long haul. Um, and so, yeah, we've seen many, many bouts, <laughs> many ups and downs. <laughs> but we're in for the long haul. And uh, our, our students know that. Our faculty know that. They take encouragement that someone is there. Someone is there with their family and is bought into this approach to making a difference. One of the mottos for the university is the informal one is make good citizens. We, we want to make good citizens. We, we think that's the best thing for the country, for our country, of the country of Pakistan, the country of the U.S. Now, the motto officially of the school is by love, serve one another. And that's a very compelling motto. And that gives you a lot to talk about. It's, there's a worldview connected with that motto. That is not a phrase that makes sense in the materialist world. It's not. It's a different way of viewing people and of viewing yourself, understanding our purpose, understanding what it's going to take to become a good citizen and to, to help the whole country go forward. And that's been the motto for 150 years now. Wow. It's, it's one that has made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Well, and I think of the people who come to take classes there Simply knowing that that's the motto, they seem like they would have to have some openness even to, to kind of walk in the gate and sit down in class. If this university motto is by love, serve one another, that's different from you better believe what I believe or we're going to fight. Like you say, it seems like there's some openness. Let's talk a little bit about religious freedom in Pakistan. And I think most of our listeners, if we think of Pakistan and we think of Christians, we think of Asya Bibi in prison, sentenced to be executed for allegedly blaspheming against Muhammad. What do you hear from Pakistanis about the blasphemy laws, uh, particularly your students? And again, we're talking about students who have at least some openness to be in the classroom with you talking about Christianity. But what do they say about the blasphemy laws in Pakistan. It's important to remember that the people most affected by the blasphemy laws are Muslims. If you look at it according to danger, being, being an academic in Pakistan is probably one of the most dangerous <laughs> professions on earth. Says the college professor. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I'm quoting someone on that who, who is a Muslim and who, who, who has uh, seen people deal with that. So it, it's, it's not anti-Christian overtly. It is something, like I said, that has affected everyone. Recently, a, a uh, he was a music star, and uh, then he became a, a very conservative religious leader there in the country. Uh, he, he died last week in a plane crash. Very sad for, for the country. But he made a comment on, on a radio program like this that in even just a slight way cast a shadow on one of the wives of the prophet of Islam, that brought charges upon him. There were people calling wow. for his death. And, and this man, like I said, is, is a very well-respected religious leader in the country, someone who's kind of this, the model of who rejected the, the Hollywood look for going for this ultra-conservative. 
And, uh, oh, oh, it was tense. And a, a lot of people have realized that, that this law is one that's bad for everybody. Everybody suffers on this. Why? Well, it, it gives people the right, almost the freedom, to take out personal vendettas and to be above the law. And the country is, is already struggling to apply the legal system that it has. There the police comes in, and, and you're, it doesn't matter who you are, you're worried. The criminal court system is not something you want to mess with. And, and so what the laws does is it, it takes a, a, a judicial system that's struggling to be implemented, and it gives you just the right excuse to kind of take laws into your own hands. You can blame it on honor. You can blame it on, on kind of this morality, and you can take out who you want to take out, and you take their land or you, you pay them back for you know, something they did to you. And so it becomes a, a, a right to do what you need to, and religion is used to legitimize that. And I think there's a, a large number of people in the country who are just frustrated with that. They don't see it as honoring to their religion at all or honoring to anyone else. How do you walk that line where, yes, we can have conversations about religion. How careful do you have to be about what you say when those conversations start? Well, I am careful. And, and I'd be careful anywhere because my, my goal is not to offend people. My goal is, is, to, is to build their faith. I, I want you to, to go closer to God. That's what, that's what my goal is. So I want to speak truth and love to you. And, uh, and so I've got to find, find the ways to do it. The onus is on me to, to, to do that. And I've found that by being open about my thoughts about my faith, I have the freedom to do that. So how would you advise our listeners in America who have a Muslim coworker or a Muslim classmate that, that they want to have some of those conversations, they want to plant some of those seeds and open those doors, what advice would you give them as someone who lives and works in a Muslim culture? Very simply, uh, I believe in prayer. I begin with uh, just calling out to God on behalf of that person. You know, Lord, um, bless them. Lord, uh, speak to them. Give them opportunities to hear your word. Lord, let them be uh, willing to interact with me. I, I would focus prayer, prayer and fasting for that person. Uh, I'd invite people around me to do it. I would do it with a sincere desire for God to bless them. Second thing, I would want to ask them questions and, and, and sincere questions, not I'm trying to trick you, I'm trying to catch you. I think that uh, as I'm praying for them, my heart's softening to them, and I, I should try to hear from them. Who, who are you? Where have you come from? What, what do you believe? You know, I've realized that, you know, I don't know anything about Muslims. I don't really know. And I've heard that there's a lot of different types of Muslims. There's not just one, one kind. W would you mind informing me? I'm ignorant. Would you please tell me about yourself and what does it mean for you to be Muslim? What's important to you? How do you pray? And as you're listening, uh, because uh, Muslims like Christians, we do believe in heaven. We do believe in Judgment Day. I'd be listening for Honestly, what what are you are you hoping that's going to get you across the line that day? If we both believe that there is a judgment day, what what do you believe? They might not answer that question for you, but I think even having someone ask you that question is a gift, is a blessing for them to think about it, to lay in bed that night and say, "What am I going to say on judgment day? Is it because I I, I kept the law?" Is it because I did my prayers and I did what was right? 
Well, with that question immediately comes uh, the dissonance we all experience when we're confronted by the law. And we say, I have fallen short. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't say I'm ignorant. I'm just not doing it. There's something in me or around me that is keeping me from doing what I know I should be doing. Again, our, our goal is not to throw heaping, burning coals on somebody's head. I mean, we have to have that humility that says, hey, I'm, I'm the doctor on sin. I can tell you uh, all about it. And uh, in fact, I've come to faith out of my desperate realization that without a Savior, I, I had absolutely no hope uh, of keeping the law. Uh, and uh, for those of us who even tried, we realized that, that yeah, it's, it's mirroring to me my utter need for a Savior. And that's the journey, I think, of every human being. And so by asking that question in a safe way, in a kind way, they look in your eyes and they know you're sincere. You're not just trying to, to make a Christian. You're concerned about their eternal destiny, and, um, and you, you want what's best for them. They see that kind of care in your eyes. Man, you, you, have, you have become a friend. You have, you have taken a, a special place. As someone who lives as a minority in a distant country, I know what it's like to have people offer real friendship to you, genuine friendship. And man, that's, that's endearing to have somebody you can trust. It doesn't feel like they're trying to get something from you. They genuinely care. And boy, those people are, are, are like gold. And, and I think that's, that's the kind of people we need to be. We need to be differentiating ourselves from, from the, maybe the average American or materialist American or person of the world, whatever country or background we're from, that, that we are people who have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And it's not about right now me and my needs to get you uh, into, into my club. No, I'm, I'm worried about you and, and, and your situation. I have, I have a, a genuine concern. And then, uh, again, you know, we, we have two ears and one mouth, so it's our turn to listen. Let them share everything they want to. They might even start preaching at you, saying, Brother, I'm worried about you. You're a Christian, and, and you, know, you need to know this, this, and this. Just listen. Man, you took all this time praying for them and asking questions to get them talking. Well, you know, just bite your tongue. Open those ears and listen for a while. It might take a few hours. It might take a few different meetings. Just just let it go. Let me l- let them speak and ask genuine questions. Say, well, I don't really get that. Help me understand. So what do you do? Okay, you do your prayers. What do you say when you're praying? Okay, what does that mean? Ask, ask questions that you want. But uh, at some point along the way, you, you're going to need to ask and this, this might be the uncomfortable part of the conversation. Do you think this is going to work? I mean, that's your strategy. You're doing this, right? This is what you say. I mean, do you think it's going to work for you? I mean, is this, I mean, 80% chance and 50% chance? What, what do you think? I mean, do you feel good about it? I mean, that's just real questions, man. That's real questions. And, and um, so see what, uh, see what that question does. See what that question does. That's not a very comfortable question, and most people won't answer the truth. Everybody wants to look good and say, yeah, man, I'm, I'm content. I'm 100% sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. I believe, and, and I think they'll agree with you, that you've been such a good listener that it's your turn to speak. And that's certainly been my experience. People are willing to listen. It's not that they've that a lot of people have heard the gospel clearly and rejected it. I think the average person I encounter has not heard the gospel. They've never had someone simply and succinctly explain to them the heart of the message or what, what I like to call the core of the gospel that we do. We firmly believe that Jesus was crucified 
Uh, that physical death on the cross, right, was a sacrifice for our sins. And that we can't go around that. There's, there's absolutely impossible for us to take the Bible seriously or the message that has been handed down to us by faithful brothers and sisters. It's just impossible. To us, that is the message, Christ crucified. But then second, from core, the O, he was ordained, right? The coming of the Messiah, that he would suffer uh, and that he would endure that on our behalf, was ordained by the prophets, not just one, but on multiple occasions throughout the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, as we say, is, is just clearly evidenced. But it didn't end there. He was resurrected, the R, core, you know, so crucified, ordained, resurrected. Jesus Christ was resurrected. He was victorious over the grave. And then finally, this was evidenced by people who were present. They saw him. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. They touched the scars. They ate with him. And you know what? They, they witnessed this new body he had, and they witnessed him rising to heaven before their eyes. Now, that is, in its simplest form, the, the message of Scripture. That is the core of the gospel. That's what we need to share. I, I do think our testimonies are, are the peace we feel, the joy we feel, the community we enjoy. Uh, those things are nice. Those things are part of our personal experience and our testimony. But that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that we don't do anyone a service by not making that abundantly clear and to go ahead and express that. So again, just in retrospect, I'm not saying that that the first thing you need to do is go out there and, and start preaching at them. I think you need to, especially in this climate, you need to come with an attitude of humility and of service and to be a good listener. Be a good host, man. If they're in your country and you're in your area, bend over backwards to be a great host. You're here. You know, I'm going to take it that God wanted you here. I'm going to take it that God brought you here and God put you in front of me today. I'm going to be a great host to you. I'm going to love you. I want you to see the love in my eyes and the gentleness in my speech. And and I would like, after I've had a chance to listen to you, I would love to just briefly share with you what's important to me, to, to take that opportunity to share the gospel in a clear, direct, and succinct way. And I would add to that, just ask them, you know, do, do you believe this? Or would you like to know more about it? Could we talk again? I think that the average person who would do this would really enjoy it. You would walk away saying, that was, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I, I liked meeting that person. Can we meet again? Let's do this again. And again, think of it as the goal is to, to initiate relationships. And that person might never become a Christian, and that's okay. That's, that's their choice. You can't make them agree with you. That's not our job. It's never been our job. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We can be faithful. We can be loving. Well, I don't think we have a choice on those two as, as being Christians. That, that, those are commands. But, but their response to it uh, is theirs, and that's between them uh, and God. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Charles. He is a religion professor at a university in Pakistan, Charles, as we finish up our time together, we always want to equip our listeners to pray for the countries that we talk about. How can we pray for the nation of Pakistan? Pakistan is uh, in, in the midst of a civil war. A lot of people don't know it that way. It's called an operation in the northern part of the country. And um, they are dealing with a lot of the overflow of the Afghan war. 
Now, um, I don't want to get into the politics of, of who did what and who deserves what, but uh, there's a lot of innocent people who are not pro-terrorism and who are not against anybody. They're just trying to live, man. Uh, you've got a very high degree of poverty in portions of the country. Um, man, they, they, they need the basics. They need some help and some support in the basics. And um, a lot of the government's energies and resources have to go with, with dealing with security and, and armaments and all those issues. And uh, a lot of the average person is, is just struggling to make ends meet. I pray for peace in the country. I pray for justice in the, in the courts. Um, it's dangerous to be a judge. Uh, in a country where uh, where people take the law into their own hands, so for for men and women of integrity uh, who who have the courage uh, to fulfill that very dangerous and demanding role, the church has been very courageous there. When you think of the the persecution that many have dealt with, and the underneath that the um, the, the many issues that cause a type of cultural segregation, the prejudice. That, that Christians have dealt with there. If, if I had grown up in that, boy, I'd, I'd have a hard heart towards, towards some people also. And uh, man, I'm, I'm praying uh, that in this generation, there would be a, a church that rises above that, a forgiving church, a church of people who are willing to forgive prejudice and uh, the different types and forms of persecution that occur on so many different levels and would rise above that. And, and that's only the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I uh, pray for that church. I, I would say of of the 20 years that I've been observing things, this is the most um, impressive generation of Christians that have ever lived in Pakistan. Wow. There, there is a growing uh, group of, uh, of business leaders, education leaders, people in government. A lot of people don't realize this, but ministers in the government, uh, generals in the army, uh, leaders in, in industry um, and who, who are Christians and who are firm in their faith, who are not uh, in any way concealing their faith. They're stepping out there. Uh, and um, it's, it's impressive to me. It's impressive to me. So uh, if, if, you know, uh, if I could choose one, I'd be praying for Christian leaders in every layer of society because I think that can be a great blessing to that nation. I think they can be a, a tremendous asset for that country. Um, the faithful, uh, the prayers of the faithful avails much. Avails much. We believe that. Yeah. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Charles. He is a university professor in Pakistan. We've talked about the situation in the country. We've talked about the openness of Muslims to talk about their faith and to hear about our faith. I would encourage you to reach out to the Muslim co-worker or classmate or neighbor in your city, strike up those conversations, buy that cup of coffee, open the door for relationship with that person. Charles, thanks for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My privilege, Todd. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me with you. You are welcome. And our listeners, thank you for being with us. If you missed a part of this interview, you can listen to the whole thing again at vomradio.net. You can hear every episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that website is vomradio.net.
We didn't have time to air my full conversation with Brother Charles this week, but if you'll visit our website, you can hear more of the conversation. Log on to vomradio.net and hear Brother Charles go into more depth about how God called him to Pakistan and how he got there. And he'll also explain more about how treating Muslims with respect opens doors for him to share the gospel. You'll want to be back next week with us here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Our guest is going to be Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. You'll hear how God is using young people in extraordinary ways around the world. So be sure to be back with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.